Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, everyone. I'm, well... It's obvious. I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in the 80s in Sydney. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author, and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Units spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home. This season, we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes, and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to the family... From the Morehouse murders to haunted highways. This season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Hello and welcome back to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. For the past few weeks, Dad and I have been looking at a terrible pair of murders that happened on a beach in Australia many, many years ago. And last week, we looked at some of the prime suspects in this unsolved murder. But none of those suspects has quite the, I hesitate to say body count, but really there's no other way to put this. Uh, Christopher Wilder was the third suspect that dad presented me with. He sent me a photo of a piece of notepaper that he'd written down his list of the top three suspects in his opinion. And Christopher Wilder, I've really struggled with this case, listeners, because we deal with lots of really intense, brutal stuff on the show. But Christopher Wilder was born back in 1945 in Sydney. Uh, his dad was a naval officer, an American naval officer, and his mum was Australian. And the crimes that he committed throughout his life on the record are horrifying as it is, without even putting the, the murders on that beach into the pile, which, we, you know, we can't do because... Well, we're going to get into all the specifics now. Christopher Wilder was, I think it's safe to say, a monster, and the things he did were monstrous. But, Dad, we'll get to the um, why he's a suspect for these murders at the end of the episode, I think. But would you care to begin walking us through Christopher Wilder's criminal history? Mm. Well, I'm looking at a photograph of him, and he's got an incredibly large cranium. Right. The cranium being basically from the top of the eyes to the top of his head where he's got a tuft of hair. Uh, unusual looking. Is that in his mugshot? Yes. A lot of his crimes seem to revolve around, and God, I don't mean to be superficial here, but a lot of his crimes seem to revolve around um, talking young women and, you know, charming young mm. women into his, uh, into his whatever and then taking advantage of them in the most horrible way. So mm. really, I would have thought, and I often think this when you see serial killers and you wonder how they actually did their luring i guess maybe if somebody looks a little harmless 
Mm. then that's that's part of the appeal. But I, I also saw a photo of him taken in the background of a beauty. Oh, that is that's that's distressing. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, and, you know, there is a certain he looks very relaxed. Oh, because- chilled. Yeah, he's got that man about town, sort of Australian, if I may may say this Australian, sort of a suave. Um, you know, sort of a, a demeanor that is is certainly chilled. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, look, at Dad, his first crime that he committed on the record uh, occurred when he was 17 years old. Is that right? Mm, correct. It was a... Um, look, they used to call them... Uh, I, I don't like the terminology, but they called it a gang rape. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what constitutes a gang? I guess in this case, three. Although the other two offenders mm. um, admitted to being there, but said that uh, Christopher was the the perpetrator right of okay. the of the of the sexual assault yep and then so this is in the 80s in Sydney this is actually listeners when I was actually in the New South Wales police force I was a serving member of the police force and it's rather rather distressing that all this sort of started to take take hold during those formative years but I think, Paul, one needs to go back to, mm-hmm. to when he was born. Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, by all sort of accounts, it was a very traumatic birth. Am I correct in saying he was born in 1945? Yes, which makes okay. him 20 at yeah. the time of the Wanda Beach murders, i.e. 1965. He bugged out. He left for, I think, he left for America when he was about 23. But he left for a reason, Paul. Yeah, well, let's we'll, we'll get to that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think you're right in going back to the very beginning. Yes, and and one of the things that he said mm. and has said on the record was that he also underwent electroshock therapy. Okay, and there are people that have sort of disputed that, but interestingly enough, one of his um, sort of part of his mo modus operandi was to, in some cases, use electricity. As mm. as a form of torture. Yeah, that's right. Um, so the electroshock therapy, and I um, have mentioned it before, but they still do use electroshock therapy. I actually so, met someone who had um, been through it. It's supposed it to be, mm. and there may be some people out there um, listening that can can sort of authenticate this. But I I have heard from some very very uh, you know good medical sources mm-hmm. that it's one of the only things that actually can pull someone out of the most terrible depression. So that is interesting, isn't it? Wait, so it can actually work? Well, yes. Um, but we may get some feedback. But um, I, I have spoken to the head of a psychiatric unit. He, he was, in fact, a very dear friend of mine, one of my swimming mates mm-hmm. at Manly. And he told me that on Mondays at um, an institution on the Northern Beaches... Yeah. Uh, Mondays was the day where they would use electroshock therapy. So it's yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? I'm curious as to what that does to the, I, know. I guess the power grid. I mean, are you just dumping uh, energy? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I, don't mm, know. I think maybe we can look into it one one loose ends because I think it's sure. a, it's a really fascinating topic. Okay. Um, but sort of the, there was an investigative journal, journalist by the name of Duncan McNabb, and he he sort of looked into it and said, look. In terms of that particular reference to electroshock therapy, you know, um, they 
they couldn't sort of prove it. But I don't, I, I don't have... I don't find that a problem because I don't see how you can prove something that's a medical procedure that in theory should be very confidential. Okay. Um, but also he apparently had a near-drowning experience and but then they're saying in relation to that that, that Wilder actually sort of concocted that particular scenario. Now, in 1968, when, when I was eight, he... He married a woman and then she left him after a week. Now, I, I sort of dug deep into that particular um, part of the story and there are reports that one day she woke up and he was strangling her and she screamed and he said to her he had no recollection and occasionally she also said that she would just wake up um, and he'd be standing at the foot of the bed staring at her. And again, she said that he it looked as though he was in some sort of catatonic trance. So there were some absolutely weird things happening to him. Last week we made reference to a particular person, and I'm not sure whether it was Wilder who... When he was at court, he said to the magistrate that he fantasized about, I think I made a mistake last week. I think okay. I, put, I put it down to the gentleman that ended up in Morissette uh, for the criminally insane, the artist. And the magistrate had said to him, you know, can you sort of, do you think you're capable and fit to stand trial? And as an anecdote, so it turns out that it actually was Wilder that said to the the, the magistrate that he he... Because he was a photographer as well. Mm -hmm. And it's really important. If you are down at a beach, particularly back in the 80s, yeah. and you've got all this fancy camera gear, now a lot of this early um, stuff with the the young girls took place in Manly. We did touch on that last week. Yes. And that's, Paul, That's you lived in Manly. Yeah, very much so. I know the area very you well. You know the area really well. And he'd park his car. He had all the gear. Mm -hmm. He'd have a few lenses cameras around his neck sort of had the this air about him very confident very smart and he'd go down and he would procure young girls for the purpose of saying to them look you you know how would you like to be a model and i know that it's 2023 now and let's face it um there's a there's a fair bit of cynicism and skepticism in society now but you need to pull back to the early 80s. And I've often said that the northern beaches of Sydney, it was a different time. Yeah. It, it was very carefree. It th things happened back in the 70s and 80s that people can hardly even imagine. It was just... I mean, hitchhiking, for example, was very common. And, you know, you just... It's just totally... It's like it's another... It's another story. Yeah. And um, he he picked up girls, and he also, and this is quite interesting, he actually used a girl to procure other girls, which is clever, isn't it? I mean, if you're going to procure, say, a 16-year-old, why not have a, another 16-year-old doing the spade work? Yeah. Because it sort of legitimizes, and it makes the, the other girls feel more comfortable mm -hmm. because they can see that, He's using, he's friendly with this other girl. 
Anyway, he what he did, he took two girls back to an apartment, ostensibly to photograph them, and he ended up, you know, tying them up, and he, he, you know, molested them. But interestingly enough, he also masturbated over them. Which, when you then look back at the Wanda Beach murders, there was no penetration, but they did find samples of semen on the bodies. And I guess that's kind of interesting. There was actually no um, no penetration. What happened was he then goes to America. And that was in 1969. So he was 24 years old at the time. And this is... So, okay, so after the time at which he could have committed the Wanda Beach murders, if he did, hmm. uh, and we'll get to whether he did or not later on, he goes to America, he heads across to Florida. Now, given that his dad, uh, who was a naval officer, was American, he was kind of returning back home in a way or heading... I mean, he had, you know, he had... Um, he had some roots tying him to the country. But also, that's a pretty convenient excuse to bug out if you've been committing horrible crimes for the last however many years. Paul, he was... One of the triggers that made him go back to America is that he was actually charged with the sexual offences in relation to the two 15-year-old girls. Okay. But his but his mum and dad... And this would have been manly court. Yeah. Because that's, um, as we all know, the court you go to is the court closest to where the crimes were committed. Ah, okay. And uh, so it would have been manly court. And what happened was his mother and father posted bail. And whilst he was on bail, mm-hmm. waiting to go to court at manly to go before a magistrate. Oh, no. And also they would have had then in determining the sentencing, they had the record of the rape some years prior. Now, he didn't do time for that. He entered into some sort of plea. It's just that's... If I was the parents of the victim of the first uh, rape I would have just been just horrified but so he must have had this sense that he was going to go back to court in Sydney and then his mum and dad um, posted bail and then he goes back to Florida so he's in Florida waiting to go to trial in Sydney but what happened was there were court delays here and that prevented the case being heard mm-hmm. and then what happens is they eventually had um, like a court date for the offences in Sydney and the court date was in April 1984 however slight problem that date was after and of course we're jumping right to the end but it's important to know that was after his death yep so early in 1984 mm-hmm. Wilde begins a six-week cross-country, right across America, spree of murder and rape. Before and- we get to that, though, Dad, I I think it's worth going into his sort of lifestyle. Oh, yes, very once interesting. He, once, he, once he gets there. So mm. he got rich pretty quick. I don't mm. know how much of that comes from having financial backing from his parents because, like we said, they could afford bail and he could afford to fly across to the States and re-establish his, you know, set up a new life, basically. And I do often wonder how much responsibility is borne by people like the parents who know what he's like, know his criminal record, and then pay for him to relocate. And that's an assumption on my part, but I'm saying, you know, if you if you give someone a leg up and then they do horrifying things and you knew that they're a bad person, then 
I think you're kind of partly responsible. Anyway, so he heads across and he, I think he made a lot of money in the construction business. Yep. And correct? real estate. And uh, I mean, he, he did very well. He bought a magnificent home. Yeah. He actually used to race Porsches. He buys a Porsche 911 uh, mm. pretty soon. and then, Okay, so he's got all the trappings of a lifestyle which would allow him to do what, you know, he what he seems to be inclined towards and that is sort of um, luring people in. Mm-hmm. Which is far and, easier when you are wealthy. So. Yeah, and, and he, um, he, he, he was a very keen photographer. Yeah. He loved photography. He didn't actually start doing his criminal stuff in the 80s. He started uh, much earlier than that in America. There was a whole bunch of terrible stuff he did throughout the 70s. Do you know about this? Um, was that proven? In 74, he um, lured someone back to his house saying uh, he was like a modeling agent and then he drugged and raped her. He never got, uh, he never served prison time for that one. In 71, uh, sorry, that was 74. In 71, uh, he was arrested on Pompano Beach uh, for trying to force two women to pose for him naked. And then he went back to Sydney in 81, uh, 82, sorry, to visit his parents. Um, and that's when he abducted two 15 year old mm. girls. Mm. Um, you know, took photos of them, and he was arrested and charged with kidnapping and assault for that mm. one. Um, but but and th- then he was bailed. Because of different delays, that never got heard in court. Then he goes back to the States after that, and then he kidnaps two girls, two young girls, aged 12 years old and 10 years old in Florida, and he makes them uh, carry out sexual acts on him in a forest. Then it's in 1984. So basically, that's all before February 26, 1984, which is when he begins his seven-week spree, as you called it, I believe. Bearing yeah. in mind, they don't—they never proved that he was responsible uh, for the for the prior crimes. Okay, okay. Uh, for for Gonzalez that we just right. mentioned. Yep, she was and, 20 at the time. Yeah, yeah. So they've never been able to prove, but they do know that he was at the Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. What they found—I don't want to sort of jump too far ahead. They basically said that around about noon, maybe between noon and 1 p.m., a Caucasian male in his 30s, okay, and they describe, you know, her car and mm-hmm. that he was a race driver that frequented that particular racetrack. He was there on the day. A few days later, about maybe a week and a bit later, on March the 5th, Wilder's former girlfriend, okay, and she was a Miss Florida finalist, that was okay. at, that, at this point, I think she was a high school teacher and he had basically proposed and she'd said no. Yeah, and she went missing. Yeah. And then, um, so she was dating him, but then when he proposed to her, she said, look, no, because you're a lot older than I am. And then all of a sudden, you know, she's at this gas station near Miami and then she vanishes and they yeah. find this is where they find her car six days later at the Miami airport, which is really really clever, uh, because what it, the inference is, the police find an abandoned motor vehicle, missing woman, at an airport. Mm-hmm. She's obviously gone. She's flown somewhere. Yeah, and of course that was not the case. They, um, it's just so so bad. But Paul. Kenya's parents did something really smart then. And in fact, this ties to something I wanted to talk to you about. So when you were briefly a private investigator, very Mm. briefly, um, for a couple of years, I believe after you left the police force. Yep. Yep. The main thing that you were hired to do was to basically get photographic evidence of whether whether people were having affairs or not. Is that correct? That's right. Yep. 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 So Elizabeth Kenyon's parents 
So at this point, like we said, she's a former um, former model. She's a teacher and she's gone missing and the police are investigating and they're taking a bit long. So Elizabeth's parents, they, they hire a private investigator like you were. Mm. And the PI finds Wilder and actually starts asking him questions. And then Wilder freaks out and he leaves the scene. He like flees to a place called Merritt Island, which is a couple of hours north of Boynton Beach says here hmm. do you think the police may have actually made some progress with the investigation and do you think the pi spooking wilder stopped them kind of continuing along that line do you think that was that played into like what do you think of that hmm, interesting paul interesting but one must appreciate that those two women mm-hmm. that we mentioned they've never ever found them yep ever yeah. So it, it was speculation to a degree. It was the parents being mm. a parent, probably knowing in their hearts that this scumbag had done something terrible, terrible. But, you know, you, you, it's difficult to prove, isn't it? Yeah. And the police are just so, so busy over there. Um, just digressing just slightly, but mm-hmm. so far this year in America, they've had 73 mass shootings. We're only six weeks into this year, Paul. Yeah, I know. So what... It's an epidemic. It's, it's oh, unstoppable. so terrible. Yeah, it's incredible. You know, I did not even know about this guy. I had no idea. I would probably have gone to my grave not knowing about this scumbag mm-hmm. had it not been for the Wanda Beach murders and him being a suspect. Yeah. But he was clearly on a mission. The impression that I get, and I think it bears out as the facts become more and more evident i believe that he was on a suicide mission this this, the way this turns out to me it was so intense so rapid yeah this guy he 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 must have been in a hypermanic crazed state and there was a degree of carelessness about the way in which he because now we start finding bodies. Spoiler alert, we start finding bodies, which means he's getting careless. There does seem to be a certain degree of abandon and determination here. So the next victim, Dad, Teresa Ferguson. So there's a mall on Merritt Island, and uh, Teresa Ferguson goes missing on March the 19th, and her body is found in a canal, and it's in such a bad state, and it's just it's out in the open, like I said. And um, they had to use her dental records to identify her. That's how badly uh, disfigured she was. Mm. So he's clearly getting very careless at this point. And then, of course, there was um, Linda Grover Mm -hmm. from the Florida State University. He abducted her from a shopping mall. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, these are daytime abductions. Not just that, Dad. He he abducted her the next day. Mm. This is the day after Teresa Ferguson goes missing. So yeah. it's March the 20th, I believe. Yeah. yeah, and this poor girl, this Linda Grover, she just declined this guy outright. She just, I mean, he goes up to her and, you know, he's got all the gear and do you want to do this, do you want to do that modelling? And she just says no. Yeah. So he, he abducts her. Yeah. But this is a very interesting case because, well, he ties her, her hands, um, you know, and wraps her in a blanket, mm-hmm. puts her in the trunk of his car, Oh, I hate this one. He takes her to the Glen, but it's not, it's it's bad. Uh, but, spoiler alert, yep. she survives. Okay? He takes her to the Glen Oaks Motel where he rapes her. 
But then, and he does something that I'd never heard of being done before, and I'm slightly loath to discuss this on the podcast, but I'm going to, but I sometimes worry about, I know this sounds terribly creepy, but I don't really like to give people ideas because this is so bad. I also don't like, celebration is the wrong word, but I don't like talking about intense stuff just for the sake of it. No, I, no, I, I agree. I understand but, that impulse. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But, but it is important that he... Oh was, yeah, he, uh, what he did—he he basically blinded her, mm. not permanently, and he 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 blinded her so she could not see what he was doing mm-hmm. by gluing her eyes closed with superglue. Yeah, that's. Oh. And then he starts to use, um, you know, he starts torturing her with electricity. Yeah, and he ru- he ran an electric current through her feet. And she tries to get away. She almost gets to the door. He pulls her back. He he beats her really badly. And then somehow or other, she manages to make it to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. He's, he's hot on... And by the way, and I did watch um, an actual video of her as an adult talking back about this particular case. And, you know... It, it's very, very distressing because yeah. she could only partially see through one eye. The other eye was completely sealed with superglue and she could just kind of make out, you know, she'd originally tried to sort of get to the front door. He, he drags her away from the door, beats the shit out of her. He, she manages to get free and she runs into the bathroom by just being slightly aware with the light coming in through a, a crack in just one tiny opening in her eye. She gets into the bathroom, she locks it, and she's absolutely screaming. And there are two accounts to this particular story. One story is that she screamed a lot and then he became very um, sort of, uh, you know, worried that um, people would hear in adjoining yeah. apartments. But... Her story, her account, which is the one I am definitely going with, is that he was obsessed with watching particular TV shows. She says that when he would watch TV in the room, he almost went into a catatonic state, like a trance. And he kind of almost imagined that he was part of these sort of sitcoms. And he was, she could hear this TV show going on from behind the door and then it became really, really evident in her opinion that either A, he was in one of these catatonic trances just standing, staring, like he'd done years before at the foot of the bed of his wife. So there's something weird happening, and she slowly opens the door, and she's just peering into this room through the slit, like a micro slit in her eye, and she sort of scans the room and he'd gone he'd left and that was the last time she ever saw him she she was saved and i've seen her interviewed and she ostensibly went on to live a a moderately you know normal life um if one can sort of sort of imagine that moment where you more than likely were going to be killed. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. 
United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. All right, so things are clearly escalating at this point. We've got somebody who is look his his methods of of hurting people are getting way more intense. Case in point, March twenty first. Right, we are really. I mean, timeline-wise, he is on a spree at this point. Uh, he gets to Texas, and there's a woman called Terry Walden. She is a nursing student. She's a young mum, and he asks her to do a photo shoot. She says no, and then this woman tells her husband that there's this Australian guy who's been bothering her. March twenty-third, two days later, she bumps into Wilder again. She says no, again, and then he follows her to the car. He beats her unconscious, puts her in the back of his car, and they find her in a nearby canal. Again, that's the second time we found a body in a canal at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dad, you, I really don't feel comfortable describing how she was, um, the things he did to her, but uh, they found 43 stab marks in her mm-hmm. in her breast area. This one, I don't know. I, I'm starting to really struggle because like, violence against women is a, is a nightmarish thing, but this guy is like a monster. And, and as you said before, until we did this story, I'd never heard of this guy, mm. you know? I know. Well, look, one of the things that's very interesting about Wilder, mm. and when, they're, when you're talking serial killers, they have, they have a certain MO. Yeah. You know, you go through all the... All the all the mass murderers that they do stick to a, you know, they sort of have a textbook system. A problem with this particular guy for the police is that he wasn't going in any particular direction. He changed direction. His method of killing was um, was different. Mm-hmm. There was stabbing, shooting, strangulation, intercourse. There were lots and lots of things. I guess the one thing that did sort of help the police was the fact that they were all, you know, ostensibly very attractive girls between a certain age. Um, But, Paul, are you aware that when they went to his place, they found a book? Do you know about this book? I don't know about this book, no. It's a a very um, very famous book called The Collector by John Fowles. Yeah. And he had virtually memorized the text of this book. Right. And it's a story about a man who keeps a woman in his basement against her will until she dies. And that particular book, The Collector, has also been found in the possession of other 
murderers. Right. So that, that book has me intrigued. I don't think I'll be going out and borrowing it, but it's pretty bloody distressing, isn't it? Do you have any thoughts about Terry Walden and the state in which he was found in the canal? He clearly hates women. This is a very intense thing that's happening here. Um, he then grabs her car and leaves in her car, right? Mm. They find the car abandoned. <sighs> and then they found hair samples in the car, proving that he was uh, guilty of one of the other murders. Um, then he heads across to his next victim, a 21-year-old woman named Susan. Uh, Suzanne, sorry, Suzanne Logan. Mm. Uh, that's in Reno. And then he takes her all the way to Newton, Kansas, which is 180 miles away. And then there's more motel room uh, rape, torture, and murder. Mm. Then he bounces to the next victim, which is 90 miles northeast of that. Um, the, I mean, Dad, this... Mm, I'm re- look, I'm really struggling with the actual, just the level of violence here. Yeah, um, it was pretty bad. But the thing, Paul, is that he then gets a particular girl and he, he goes back to his MO in Manly where he befriends a particular girl and mm-hmm. she becomes... Um, and I, I guess the girl probably from a self-preservation perspective would have gone along with it and she becomes the i don't like to say the honeypot but she becomes this sort of she's an enabler because she it makes it a lot easier for him to to Mm -hmm. sort of get people in by using an intermediary someone that says look clearly he can be trusted you know i'm here he's a lovely guy he's going to pay you well You've got an opportunity to become a you know a professional model, yep. and then he uses this particular girl, and she manages to to stay safe. But at a certain point, Paul, he then says to her, "I'm going to take you to. I'm just going to let you go, because I don't want you to be there when I die." Prophetic words. So he lets her go. And that's when he continues the rampage and then he's at a service station and a local patrol car. Sorry, just quickly, what was the girl's name, the one who was kind of with him on this? This madman was actually put on FBI's 10 most wanted list. Yep. Now, that's, that, that's big. Yep. Okay. So around about the time he was placed on the 10 most wanted list, he was driving to a location north of Torrance in California and he lured a 16-year-old Tina Marie Rizico and he assaulted her. Okay. But he didn't kill her. And weirdly, he kind of thought that, and I don't know where they come up with this term, this to be robotic enough to help him abduct more victims, okay? Right. So... She cuts her hair really short and, oh, God, it's so so weird. The theory is that the hair was cut short to make her resemble a female character from the movie Flashdance. Did you ever see that? Flashdance? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So there's a, apparently there's a woman with really short hair. And then they drive to Gary in Indiana and then he sort of forces her, <clears throat> but she's complicit to lure a girl called Dornette Wilt. <clears throat> she's also 16. And then 
he gets the young girl, his accomplice, to drive, and then he's in the back of the car. And what, so while Rizzico's driving his car, he's in the back and he rapes this young girl, okay? And then they stopped in various places and Wilder also tortured the young girl and electrocuted her. And, you know, I don't really want to <clears throat> go on too much about it, but um, basically, you know, he um, he sees that um, there's sort of a um, an appeal on the news for this young Rosico's return. It was on the news. And then he takes them both to a um, to a, uh, a forest. So he's got these two 16-year-old girls and he then stabs, uh, you know, the girl that was sort of enticed into the car mm. twice and then he leaves her and then the other girl, you know, his accomplice now, she's sort of, she's managed to sort of stay alive and they drive away and then all of a sudden, you know, the offender thinks, oh, look, I need to go back and he goes back to check the body and the body's gone and what this young girl had done She'd managed to get some clothing, tourniquet, stop her own bleeding. She went out onto this road. She, a car stopped. She got in the car, explained what had happened, and said that she'd been, you know, stabbed and raped and abducted. And, um, you know, they, she got away, and this guy was absolutely shitting himself, of course, knowing that one of his victims had got... That, that, well, that's actually two victims that have got away. It's worth pointing out several victims ago. Um, he attended that beauty show that we mentioned. Yes. So there's a magazine called Seventeen Magazine, and a mother of one of the contestants takes a photo of you know some of the contestants accepting their award, and in the background is the photo of Christopher Wilder. I know. Right. Yeah. Um, and that 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 places him in a specific location, and that's a, that that's very useful to the police. Correct. Correct. And then what happens <clears throat> after they'd sort of left this girl in the in the in you know the bush to die mm. that actually got away. They then head to a place called Victory in New York and then Wilder forces Rosicchio again to lure another woman, this time a 33-year-old woman called Beth Dodge. Yes. So they abduct her. They then take her to an empty gravel pit and they, and, you know, the Christopher then shoots her in the back with a three five seven Magnum revolver and just dumps her body in the pit. And then they abandon the car they take um, another vehicle, okay? And this is when Christopher Wilder gets that, that feeling that the end is near. And again, and weirdly, he takes Rosicchio to the Logan Airport in Boston, Massachusetts. Buys her a ticket. Yeah, and says to her that I would prefer you not to be with me mm. when I die. You know, she's shit scared. She boards a plane, goes to LA, and goes straight to the local police. God, this is—it's it's, there's no end to this, Paul. Then on April the thirteenth, Wilder manages to lure a nineteen-year-old girl from the side of the road in Beverly, Massachusetts, where this poor girl, her car had broken down. He threatens her with his revolver, and what happens is. Oh my god, it's so so terrible. Um, Hang on, wasn't no no. Um, Beth Dodge was the last victim. I hope so. Yeah, Beth Beth Dodge was the last victim, and then on April thirteen, uh, he gets recognised by two cops. Yeah, 
but he's got the 357 which he used to shoot Beth Dodge in the gravel pit, right? Mm, mm. So he sees the cops approaching, jumps into his car, grabs the Magnum, and then there's a struggle. And the struggle is interesting in that during the struggle, there are two shots fired. Mm. And obviously when there's cops involved and there's shots fired, you know, shit's getting very real. Um, one shot hits the cop holding Wilder. Mm. The other shot goes through Wilder and kills him pretty much instantly. Uh, the cop survives a shot from a 357 Magnum at close range. You know, um, props. That's mm. kind of incredible. Mm. Um, but what I can't find is information as to whether the shot that killed Wilder was deliberate or not. By which I'm not saying the cops shot him with his own gun. I'm saying, you know, I'm tying back to that point that you established at the start of the episode that it seemed to be some sort of, you know, uh, fatalistic spiral, in which case he was potentially trying to get caught and trying to get killed or he wanted to die or something. I mean, what do you think? I, um, you know, they're, they're, they're saying that he was going to go out with a bang and um, yeah. and it was possibly suicide. Mm. Um, you know, would he have been sitting in his car seeing these two police officers approach him had he decided to shoot it out or yeah. had he decided to to end his life? It's possible that when he pulled his gun or had his gun next to him, as a lot of people do, always on, on sort of just ready to use in situations like this where they, you know, like a traffic stop where you can decide to, to sort of use the gun or just let things slide and, you know, some, some police are lucky. There'd be lots of police around the world that have pulled over cars and to them, it was a routine traffic stop. They've got back in the car, maybe shoot a ticket, and they've gone on their merry way. They don't know how close they were to being shot. Mm. Um, there definitely was a struggle. You know, it's... it's. I don't know. Um, for someone so terribly... Um, I'm not going to say mad, but so driven... And I, he was probably somewhat hedonistic. And, you know, was he really going to take his own life? Um, I don't, I'm not implying that he was going no, to put no, no. in his mouth. But, I mean, no, you know, no, was no. he trying to... Yeah. You know, it's a struggle. And, and you know, the gun's gone off. And might, might, might I add, that's a very, very big fucking gun. Yeah. It's mighty powerful. Mm. Uh, I'd always, I always laugh in those movies when people hide behind a door of a car or, or a garbage bin to to stay safe when people are letting these fucking rockets off. Yeah. It's laughable. These are very powerful guns. To have one go off in at close range, just the noise mm. would be unbelievable. And he uh, and he died. And you know, my gut feeling, uh, because there's a lot been written about a lot of other victims similar MOs, there are so many. That's what, that's what always disturbs me in these cases because they don't have him alive to to interrogate. Uh, I believe that there were many, many more victims. Uh, to know, that it, point, Dad, um, because he died, they mm. could never get him into court and they could never interrogate him and they couldn't find out whether... Just to tie it back to our point, you know, to the episode several episodes ago, if he in fact committed the Wanda Beach murders, they were never yes. able to. Which means, and some people have said that means that the 
you know, parents, survivors, loved ones of the two girls don't get justice. I mean, the idea of what justice is is pretty abstract, but what do you think? I mean... Okay. Um, the artist that uh, we discussed, yeah. I 100% absolutely am convinced that uh, it was not him. Because when he was released, listeners, the first thing he did mm-hmm. was offer his DNA to the police. Okay? So I don't believe he was uh, the Wanda Beach murderer. Sure. I don't believe it was uh, Percy, the, even though he was a sadistic scumbag animal because the girls had, one of the girls had food, chico roll and alcohol. Uh, if you have a look at a photograph of one of the suspects, uh, you know, the guy that had that sort of, uh, the dossier in, in the storeroom with the bag that said Wander on it down in Melbourne, he was um, a very, very unattractive, evil-looking fucking scumbag. And I don't think two innocent girls in their, in their mid-teens would have had anything to do with him. However, Christopher Wilder was a man about town. I've seen photographs. I've seen video of him on motorbikes, push bikes, early footage of when he was in his late teens, early 20s. Of the three suspects that were the, the key suspects in the Wanda Beach murders, my man is on Christopher Wilder. Okay. Man about town, would have had a camera. The girls were thinking, shit, this is this is wonderful. They would have started out, this is my, I'm purely, this is just, I'm hypothesizing. But he's the right age. Uh, we've discussed, you know, whether some people have said, oh, it, it wasn't a big person because they kept stopping. Well, I defy anyone to drag a body 30 metres through through sand. Yeah. I defy them without stopping. Okay. Impossible. Mm. But but he was well built. He was um, he was very, very... I, I don't want to... I'm not saying this to sort of take from the... Um, I'm not making excuses for this shithead, but he was definitely troubled. There's no doubt about that. Very, very, and his parents would have known that, you know, they would have known that. Then, and but parents, being parents, I mean, honestly, you know, most parents don't give up on their kids. And if you and and with a lot of parents and parenting and children, bad kids that go through rough patches, if you can sort of hang in there, you know, a lot of times the kids come good. Um, I mean, I was a case in point, fucking rat bag. Not not to that level, of course, but geez, I'll tell you what, I caused my parents some serious angst. And I came good. So, you know, side message, don't give up if it's at all possible, but every situation is different. Um, but I could see Wilder in the sand dunes, photography, just being nice to these girls. And, you know, look, we don't know, but... My money is on him. What are your thoughts, Paul? Do you do you have a particular suspect? I really don't, because the fact is, we can sit here all we like and mm. you know talk about who it could have been, but we'll, we will literally never know. No. Um, well, we'll probably never know. Mm. So, look, it's it's all it's all kind of fucked. People are terrible, and it's a really it's been a really uh, interesting, but sometimes. Sometimes true crime gets a little disheartening, I won't lie. So maybe we'll try and find a non-murder case next week. Oh, Paul, you're, you're, you're so funny saying that because um, Christine, 
yeah. said to me because I was doing research yesterday and it's, you know, and I just sort of, it's sometimes sort of, you know, it wears you down. Yeah. And Christine, sweet Christine, said, oh, why don't you do something, you know, a bit of a mystery without a without a murder, which is yeah. what you've just... Having said that, Paul, we do need to discuss, and it's probably better to do it sooner than later, and that is discuss the um, the lady that was thrown off the building. Not a cheerful story. No, it's but, not a cheerful but, story. But, but the people that they reached out to us, I went and spent an hour in their apartment uh, being basically told, given the good oil, and they said, listeners, that... You know, the media have been trying to sort of find out a, a lot about this particular case because these people that we met uh, were witnesses. Mm-hmm. And they said, they reached out to loose units and said, we've been waiting for for a platform for some people that we really trust and now we've chosen you. So I went and saw them and I think the time is ripe to discuss another horrific story. Uh, but down the track, perhaps we can get back into some uh, some mystery stories. Yep, let's see. Let's see if we can move away from the terror. But maybe that's not what people want. Anyway. No, well, that's a point too. Anyway, it's uh, it's been a really harrowing, but I think fascinating three weeks on Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Thank you so much for spending time with us, everyone. We've had a really good time um, just hanging out. And now I need to go take a shower because uh, my brain feels dirty. Thank you for listening to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Don't forget... You can head across to our Facebook discussion group and drop us a line. In the meantime, we're going to be back on Friday with an episode of Loose Ends, a weekly spin-off podcast designed specifically to take the edge off episodes like this one. Thank you, everyone. Have a good week, and we will see you very, very soon for more Loose Units. Bye-bye. Cheerio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.